Hi, welcome to Marie's Reading Corner, where I invite my friends to talk about our favorite books. Join us with a cup of tea as we talk about books, personal growth, and encounters with Jesus in our daily lives. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Marie's Reading Corner. And today we have another special guest that's a dear friend of mine. I know I say dear friend of mine at every podcast, but it's true. These friends are amazing. They're very dear to me. And this friend in particular, she and I met at church and we got closer as we did ministry together. We will be discussing two different books called The Emotionally Healthy Leader and The Emotionally Healthy Church. My listeners, please welcome Emily Tregellis. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Marie, for having me. Of course. I'm so happy. Emily's such an intellect, so we talk a lot about just very nerdy things. (laughs) So I'm so excited to have her here. Uh, Before we get started, Emily, can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Since we are going over the topic of um, emotionally healthy leadership within the church, I will start by saying that I have served in the church for upwards of six years and that most recently the past three years I was serving as an intern pastor and a college director. So this topic is pretty important to me and I have a mm-hmm. lot of intimate experiences with the um, the struggles and the failures that the author talks about. Um, his journey to emotional health definitely reflects some of the personal journeys I've also had to take and so I'm I'm really excited to also sprinkle in a little bit of my personal experience in today's talks because this process is so important but it's also a process that's never ending and um, mm-hmm. I felt so challenged just even preparing for this um, podcast and rereading through things is like wow I still have so far to go but this is so good so glad mm-hmm. that this resource exists and so I'm really excited if you don't know this book already or have never really taken the time to read it I'm so excited for you to taste of what it's going to be like today because it's really such an essential resource for Christians Yes. And actually, when I choose the books with the person that I'm interviewing, I tend to choose it with people who have deep passions for these things. And so um, I knew Emily was serving as a campus pastor in our college ministry, as well as an intern pastor for our church. So I knew that this was something that was very important for her. And so I'm really excited to hear her experiences as well as we talk about the book. So yeah, why don't we just dive right in? I know that my readers from my blog know or have heard of these two books because I mentioned it in a couple of blog posts. I quoted a lot of things when it came to emotional health when I was grieving through the loss of my mom. And as somebody who was studying to be a counselor, these two books impacted my life greatly. And I say that because you know, in the previous podcast with my friend Della, we were talking about how the world has changed so much to the point that we're just hustling. And we're so busy with life. And we don't even stop to think what's going on inside of us internally. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really important, especially with the pandemic that we are here in the silence, and we're hearing our thoughts for the first time without having to distract us Um, without the busyness having to distract us. And so I think it's this book is perfect timing as we are um, contemplating on a lot of our thoughts and 
you know, mental health, as you guys already know, is a very big part of me. And I'm very Mm -hmm. passionate about it. And this book is, um, is giving practical tips and tools in how Mm -hmm. to do that. So yeah, Mm -hmm. Emily, what did you think about the book? I know that's such a big question, but (laughs) anything that stood out to you? I think the easiest way to describe this book um, is that it is not a waste of time. Uh, mm. There are so many self-help books or you know psychology, sociology books out there that attempt to tackle issues about our sense of self, our you know our presence of mind, or our relationships with people. But they can get stuck in theory so easily. But this Mm-mm. book is so super practical. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there's theory. Yes, it's based on in social science. Like, yes, it's based in scripture. And he does such a great job of bringing the gospel into every chapter. But when you read this book, like, every chapter is immediately applicable to your life. Like, there, it's so mm-hmm. practical. There's immediate takeaways. And I think that is my overall impression of the book is like, it's so refreshing to have a practical tool and not just more Mm -hmm. knowledge. Definitely. I completely agree. I remember the first time I got introduced to emotionally healthy leader was in one of my classes in grad school, um, one of my counseling classes. And Mm. we were only supposed to read the first two chapters. And I went ahead and read the whole thing because it's that good. (laughs) Um, I will say though, the first two chapters they're really good. But at the same time, like what you said, Emily, like, it's very practical and practicality doesn't always mean it's easy. And so when Mm. I read the first two chapters a couple years ago, I remember thinking like, this shines a spotlight in my heart. But because it's shining a spotlight in my heart, I feel so gross about what's going on inside of me because now I know what's going on Mm. inside of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because he, I mean, the first two chapters, if we let the readers know that it's called the unhealthy, unhealthy leader, right? And then the next one is mm-hmm. face your shadow. Yes. Yeah. So the first two chapters, there's so much about like, you have to confront the ugly truth of your constant um, sinfulness and sinful patterns in the context of your current sanctification and redemption as well. And um, he does a really good job of setting up how culture, church culture and, and I'm so passionate about this, but how church culture in a holistic kind of around the world global sense is often far too focused on the niceness of ourselves or the nice parts that Mm. we have to show to people and not focused enough on how much we need a redeemer and how much we need someone to come and save us from ourselves. So I love the first two chapters of this book as well because it like you said like it's not easy but it's so essential for us to be able to say I'm still a work in progress I still mm-hmm. have all this sin and rather than that being something that discourages us because we can walk around in the church our whole lives putting up a face or a mask of nicety to everyone feeling like there are patterns that I'll never escape from patterns I learned from my family mm. or patterns that I've picked up because of wounds and I'll never be able to get free of those things. And so we, we like, yeah, I've been saved. Yeah. The blood of Jesus applies to me, but oh my gosh, like I'm stuck and I'll, I just have to accept that. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's so not true that the gospel can mm-hmm. actually transform us, and that when we actually take these very simple steps that he lays out about facing the dark side of ourselves first and foremost, and then following these steps of slowing down and Sabbath and things like that, that mm-hmm. it's totally possible to actually see progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, like, um, I'm reading, I opened the book up right here to chapter two about what is your shadow, I think, for our readers, it would be really good for them to know that your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotion, less than pure motives and thoughts that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It is the mm. damaged, but mostly hidden version of who you are. And yeah. so our shadow, like he talks a lot about our shadow. Basically, it's that. And I think we don't realize how much that affects us on a daily basis. I think we see the results in our behavior and like, oh, I have to serve God because of this. But like, we don't actually see if we take like 50 million steps back to our very first thought regarding something in our minds or some situation that happened, that's our shadow. These fears, Mm -hmm. these, you know, like um, where we no longer understand why we're doing what we're doing, but we're still doing it. And I think that's why it's so important to pinpoint those things and understand why we're doing those things. And there's no, it's not the end that there's still hope that Christ came to die for us. And at the end of the day, this book gives very practical ways in order to achieve that, you know, and we're not just lost in a sea of, Oh, well, this is it, you know? Right. Right. It, I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think this book does bring a lot of hope to its readers. And that's such a lot of hope to its readers, but even a lot of hope to church leaders in the area of, I can change the culture of my church. I can change the way that people interact with one another and relate to one another by doing this hard process myself and by setting an example. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, hopefully as more and more church leaders get their hands on this book, that we'll actually see culture shifts and more authentic Christianity coming out of it. And I think that Mm -hmm. is super hopeful and exciting as well. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that I talked about in my previous podcast about um, we want to put our best foot forward and how an Instagram and all these different things, it's, it's almost Mm. like pressure to be perfect. And, I'm not surprised that that's something that we bring forth in the church as well as our relationship with God and where we have to have everything all sorted out or we need everything um, squeaky clean before we come to the Lord. But that's mm-hmm. not true. Like so many characters in the Bible have, you know, like lost it in quote. I was just reading mm-hmm. Psalms the other day. and Like mm-hmm. David is just like kind of bipolar in a way. He's like, <laughs> Lord, you've abandoned me. But then I trust in you by the end of the chapter. And yeah. so, it, yeah, it, it's kind of like that in this book where I feel like he's really addressing um, cross-cultural things. Mm, absolutely and you know what there's an example that he gives and I'm not sure if it's in chapter three or chapter four maybe it's even chapter two sorry listeners that I can't remember but he brings an example about Joseph and how Joseph had a lot of emotional baggage he had a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we often talk about um 
we focus on Joseph's story because of the dreams that he had and the eventual fulfillment of those dreams, like this kind of encouragement in the waiting process, this encouragement that, um, you know, God is faithful to you, this encouragement that uh, God walks with you through your trials until his purposes are fulfilled, those kinds of themes. But uh, mm-hmm. he really takes a look at Joseph's life and the Emotionally Healthy Church book and and says, look, like, he had trauma. He was rejected. He was abandoned. He was abused. He was mm-hmm. neglected, you know, and all of these things. And he had a relationship with God that was able to trust him through this process of pain um, long before he ever got to the place of reconciliation with his brothers or forgiving them or, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing God bring the victory that it was this trust in God's process that we get to see through Joseph's life and how many figures in the Bible have similar pain processes that they have to go through. Yeah. And I think for us, like we, we don't often see that because sometimes when we read the Bible, it feels a little flat. You know what I mean? Um, When we see these characters and actually there was this really cool thing that we did in that class that um, encouraged me to read this book. And um, for readers, this is in chapter two, Uh, facing your shadow oh no three I believe facing your shadows and he encourages you to um, create a genogram and a genogram is basically Mm. this chart in where you list all of your family members names kind of like a family tree but then there's like this little legend in where you map out the relationship that you have with your father or your mother or your sister or your brother. And like, there's different, like there's different lines that symbolize different things. Like a squiggly line symbolizes like strain on the relationship or like, you know, if like certain family members got divorced, like you kind of write that down. And we did one for Abraham's line. And so it was really cool to see Abraham and Sarah, you know, um, and then Isaac and Jacob and all of their, you know, at least the ones that were listed in the Bible. Of course, we don't know whether or not um, uh, certain characters had daughters because they're, they're not always listed. And so mm. we did as best as we could based on what we understood from the Bible and the relationship between uh, father, son, father, mother, all these different things. And we just saw like how real sin mm. is. Mm-hmm. And like how traumatic that could have been per generation or like just the different things. For example, um, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And can you imagine the relationship that Esau has with um, Isaac? Right. Okay. Isaac mm-hmm. is the father. I, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, uh, Jacob stole his birthright and yeah. what kind of strain that has between the two brothers and, if we look at our own lives and the kind of strain we have with our parents or siblings or whatever, that's just as real in uh, biblical stories. And I think in this book, he encourages us to look at, uh, to write our own genograms and see the different strains, whether we know it or not, that have been Mm. caused between other family members. And I remember I did this and I was just so shocked because we had to share it with other um, classmates if we were, um, if we were comfortable and I showed one to a friend and she, she saw the different lines and she's like, um, wow, it seems like there's a pattern of, what did she say? There seems like there's a pattern of disconnect or strain between, you know, 
on your mom's side on this generation and like all that. And I, mm. I didn't even connect the dots in where I had sometimes a strained relationship with my mom. I mean, like who doesn't like the mothers mm. and daughters. Right. Um, right. and so coming to that discovery, I remember it brought a lot of light and like a lot of the issues that I had and why I had mm-hmm. it. It's so good. And I think this genogram is like, is so essential and it's this is not the first time I've encountered this concept, but it certainly grounds the the idea that we model what we see, and you can't help but model what your parents are doing or what your caretakers are doing, whether you were raised by your grandparents or by a family friend or whomever, um, that you mm-hmm. you model what you see and that those habits yeah. get carried on through your whole life and. And even sometimes, you know, as we mature in our 20s or 30s, um, we think that we've escaped those things, but then we get married and we see patterns that we never saw popping up and like, oh my gosh, I'm being just like my mom, you know, or like we start raising a child mm-hmm. and the same thing happens. We're like, I thought I got over this, but here this pattern mm-hmm. is. And it's just because we we learn through observation. We, we learn by watching people. I think that's one of the reasons why um, when Paul is talking about the like leadership in the New Testament, he says like, you know, model your life after me as I follow Christ. Like I'm following the model of Christ. You follow me because Mm -hmm. we do learn by observation. And the genogram is one really cool, like visual way that helps us observe what has been modeled in our families and what patterns are actually there. Yeah. And, you know, regarding that, it's so scary to think that we're unaware of what we've observed until we see it in action. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Like, um, I was reading this book, which I will most likely do a recommendation podcast for it, but it's <laughs> The Meaning of Marriage. Not that I'm married, but I read that book <laughs> and um, by Tim Keller. And um, in the book, I remember they got into a fight. Um, and the reason why they kept getting into fights once their kids were born was because they come from two different family backgrounds and he comes mm-hmm. from a background in where his mother did all the work. He didn't let his father do anything because um, his mother's way of loving his father was thanking him for working so hard through the day for providing his family. So he never lifted a finger. So he grew up like understanding that guys never lifted a finger. Uh, you know, mm. and the, the wife does everything. But she comes from a family in where everyone helps out. So right after dinner, everyone picks up their utensils and their plates and they bring it to the they bring it to the kitchen. Everyone has their own chores and they all help out. And so when they got mm. married, you can only imagine w- what happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they never spoke about it. So they never spoke about this pattern uh, because it was just an expectation that they had. And so for him, he didn't understand why she's not changing the diaper of the baby where she's demanding him to change the baby's diaper. From his Mm. point of view, it was straight up, um, you don't love me. That's why you you don't want to take care of our kid. Like, I'm providing for our house. But for her, it's like, you're not loving me because you're not doing things and you're not helping me around the house. And like, Mm -hmm. this was never spoken of. And like, I think it's very similar in our own lives until it gets highlighted oftentimes, or even until we talk about it or process it with the Lord or with um, fellow believers, 
you won't realize that this was inside of you. Mm, absolutely. And you know what? I think even as that applies to our families, I'm I'm even thinking of our own church background. And especially if you are someone entering a position of leadership within the church, um, or, or I mean, let's say even your own like business background, you're entering a position of leadership or management within a company, we bring our experiences into those positions as well. We we only can know what we've experienced and 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 to some extent what we've learned through books, but what, what we've experienced sticks more. And so mm-hmm. we'll bring patterns of leadership that we've experienced through our own leaders. And so mm-hmm. if I were to ever take on a position of leadership in a church again, um, mm-hmm. you know, because right now I'm dear, dear listeners, I'm on a break. Um, but if I would ever enter leadership again, I would actually do a genogram for patterns of the churches that I've been to. What Mm. kinds of leadership patterns have been in the churches that I've been to and what ones have I adopted so that I am aware Mm. as I enter a new church culture, what differences are going to be, what's healthy, what's not healthy, and to try to make that transition smoother, but also to grow as a leader as well. Mm, Wow, that's a brilliant idea. I didn't even think about it. I think for me, I'm still processing what happened with our church and everything that we've gone through. And so, wow, Emily, that's that's incredible. I definitely listeners go do that. If you're having issues (laughs) finding a church um, or, you know, if you're currently in a church and if you're frustrated with certain things, definitely try a genogram for your past church experiences. That that's pretty cool. Wow, Emily, this is why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, something useful. (laughs) Um, And you know what? There's a trap as well in the church, especially to think that the way we learned in our church, especially our home church, is the right way. Um, Mm. It just innately, we kind of cling to that original church upbringing as like, well, this was the standard, this is the right way, without really having a good grip on whether it is average or healthy or the standard mm-hmm. across other churches. And and that can create a lot of conflict, even amongst our seminary classmates. Sometimes there were mm-hmm. very strong disagreements about how a church service should be handled or what, mm-hmm. what approaches were appropriate uh, yeah. as leaders just because of upbringing. And um, mm-hmm. that's what the, when the light bulb first went off for me. It was like, oh my goodness. Like, we take our experiences as the gospel rather than the gospel itself. And mm-hmm. um, that is something that's hugely important to be aware of. I'm so sorry if you can hear the phone ringing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Honestly, that I didn't even think about that until you just said that right now. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about all these different church experiences that I've had, not only in our church, but even previously. Um, yeah, like at our church, there was that kind of culture where it was like, we're right and there's no other Mm. way. And I remember thinking, I think because I was a very passionate college student when I started going to our church, that that became Mm. the foundation for my twenties when it came to my spiritual life. And right now I'm kind of undoing a lot of the unlearning and relearning new things about who I am versus what Mm. was spoon fed to me during that time. And not saying everything that was spoon fed to me was bad. Of course, like I grew so much, like I'm definitely much closer to the Lord than I first 
when I first started college, but there were certain things where I felt so guilty about um, my own emotional health uh, because I felt like I wasn't being, I wasn't doing what I was told to do. Hmm. I mean, what you're bringing up is an extremely good point, and this is something that he mentions in the book Emotionally Healthy Leadership is um, we have to develop a healthy ability to listen. And Mm -hmm. basically, although he has these different points about listening, where or I mean not about listening, he has these different points about facing your shadow, looking at your genogram, slowing down, you know, um, having Sabbath, Mm -hmm. all of these things, when it really comes down to it, they're all listening techniques. Listening Mm. to what your heart is actually saying, listening to what you've learned from your past, listening to other people, listening to God. This is like, it's so crucial that this skill of listening comes up in all of his his points. Mm -hmm. And that is really crucial for our own experience in the church. Sometimes we're just told to do as we're taught, like just, just follow the leadership, you know, just keep the, keep the rules, like and don't don't do anything different and so our version of listening is obedience like oh i should just be obedient Mm. i just need to keep the line what really true listening is is being able to express disagreement it's being able Mm -hmm. to speak to each other and work on what we don't understand being willing Mm -hmm. to not be in the same place of understanding and work towards understanding even if that's not agreement and that's Mm -hmm. missing in the church and that does cause a lot of pain it does cause a lot of of trauma for people and Mm -hmm. um, especially in our own church backgrounds we've experienced that as well and so yeah churches need need to need to have this ability to listen um, Mm -hmm. and to question and be like I hear you I'm questioning things because here's where I'm coming from I want to know more about where you're coming from and what this is triggering in you because uh, clearly because we're struggling to agree, like there's something important here that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Oh man, I completely agree. And you know, at the same time, I think when we think about God and we think about, you know, Jesus, it's like, I feel like a lot of times we as Christians think of them as like this big entity and like they're everywhere all the time, which is true. But at the same time, we forget that Jesus was human and that, Mm. you know, having another relationship with a human is pretty much the same as having a relationship with another person. And so when I'm struggling to understand what God's heart is for me, I would try to understand it from a humanistic point of view. Like, did I just hurt him when, you know, I decided to do this, not consider his heart for me, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, In our church background, I felt like what was happening was that as long as I'm being told what to do, because I come from a background in where I'm, I have high anxiety if I'm not, if I'm not praised for doing Mm. what I was told. So like if I, Mm. if I don't do something right and I get, I get punished for it. And so I get anxiety if I don't do something right. And so coming in with that kind of background and I enter our church, I just did everything right. Like I checked Mm. off everything they wanted me to do. I went to every single prayer meeting. You know, I felt guilty if I couldn't go or if I was sick or if I had to study for a a class. And like, you know, they weren't forceful about going to prayer meetings and things like that. But at the same time, I felt like it was being forced upon me. And it was in a way that was 
kind of sugarcoating it like you know god will bless you in your studies if you actually go to this prayer meeting of course that wasn't the Mm. exact words that they said but that was kind of what i felt and i felt guilty if i didn't read my word every single day and in this season um did i just say my word the word (laughs) i don't read the word every single day um and in this season i'm having to kind of unlearn that and i remember one time i had a conversation with god and where I was like, God, I don't think this is working. I I don't feel like, you know, I I don't feel your presence and things like that when I do certain things or if I read the book, like if I read the Bible on given days and all that stuff, I just feel like there's just something that's wrong. And he's like, you know, um, because I have this really good friend and we go on date days. (laughs) It's like she and I would just like spend once a week uh, where we would either study together or just like spend some time together and we would do it weekly. And so God asked me, he's like, Marie, Mm. um, do you expect to do the exact same thing with her every single week? And I was like, that'd be so boring. Like we go to places, we shop, we explore new things, try new foods. And he's like, then why do you expect the same thing from me? Like, do you really think I'm that boring? And so I remember that <laughs> that blew my mind because mm. I forget that he's human and I forget that my emotional health matters to mm. him versus That's so good. putting up like, you know, you know, crossing off everything on my checklist. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. That that's so crucial. And and God is above above any person in our lives so intimately aware of how weak our hearts are of how you know of how much we struggle just in our own um in our own humanness to handle emotions and to handle challenges and um yeah you know it's like there's the scripture that says that he like you know that we are dust and um He's so willing to bring us through processes and a variety of experiences, a variety of ways of connecting with us, speaking to us, for us to be able to walk into who he's fully made us to be. And that is mm-hmm. such a beautiful part about the character of, of the Christian God, the character mm-hmm. uh, of Jesus, especially in, in demonstrating the gospel by himself coming to earth, being willing to struggle through human struggles, being willing to take mm-hmm. on the burden, I mean, truly the burden and the limitations of human flesh um, and, and to walk with us so that he could experience what we experienced and be our comforter um, on the other side of it. And so, yeah, like God is, God is just so beautiful and, and he deeply wants us to be connected to our emotions. And I think this is the, this is probably the life goal of Peter Scazzaro. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like, God wants us to deeply be connected to our emotions. He wants us mm-hmm. to um, be before we do, because mm-hmm. that's where we're going to find relationship with him. It's not in our doing, but in our being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as you touch upon um, emotions, I mentioned this in a previous blog in where I think coming from Asian culture, um, I mean, I'm sure it's not just Asian culture, but I feel like there's more of a uh, weight and burden to not talk about how we feel because it's shameful and mm. how expressing emotion is wrong because mm-hmm. I, I think this comes from like war mentality. I'm not sure because it's like if they're sad and upset, it's not like it's going to change anything. You know, nothing's going to change just because I cry. Like at least that's what I, I get from my elders. Um, yeah. So 
if you cry about it and like that's not going to change the problem not only does that rob us of the opportunity to cry out to god and pour out to god but that's actually burying more of our emotions um and not processing it and that becomes our shadow that comes to haunt us later on because we Mm. never fully processed it and i think it's i think the biggest thing that Peter Scazzaro really taught me through Emotionally Healthy Leader was the fact that I needed to face my shadow and that Mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing. It's not that it's wrong or like, so this is the scenario that I remember I heard from someone. Basically, I know that this person's father was abusive. And then I talked to this person and they said, oh yeah, but like, you know, I learned a lot of life lessons from it. And they never processed, like, they never said how painful it was or anything like that. They just said, oh, at least I learned a lot. And Mm. to me, that's very alarming because it's like, yeah, you learned a lot. But do you even know how that made you feel? Mm. In my mind, that's dangerous because that's that tells me that there's emotions that could just blow up at any minute based on that traumatic experience. Mm. if it doesn't go unprocessed you know absolutely yeah absolutely and and you know no one is exempt from that no one is exempt from that kind of build up and and uh explosion or like or that that Mm -hmm. process of of pressing something down ignoring it not addressing it it's going to come back to to haunt you it's going to come back to bite you in a sense um, mm-hmm. No matter what position of leadership you have, that's why we mm-hmm. have church leaders who fall from grace. They fall from their positions of leadership in huge scandals and and big, you know, with big issues because they haven't really taken the time to address how they felt, how mm-hmm. the mess of leadership has affected them. Because I love, love, love one of the things that. Um, Skazera talks about is he talks about how not only are we bringing ourselves from a ton of different directions and everything that's happened to us but we're constantly ministering to people whether we're leaders or just you know in relationship with friends and you know people in our small group but everyone else is coming from different directions too that they Mm -hmm. all have these experiences and that if we don't learn how to listen to our emotions we're just going to start projecting on on each other mm-hmm. constantly yep. that that your issues are going to start becoming my issues. I'm going to become mm-hmm. defensive because I think that you're blaming me for what, everything you're going through. And like, especially mm-hmm. as a leader, we tend to become the targets of blame more than other people. And that's mm-hmm. just human nature is to blame leadership. And that unless mm-hmm. you have a healthy way of diagnosing I'm feeling blamed. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling, you know, stressed. Like I feel, um, you know, overwhelmed. Like unless we can like articulate these things and acknowledge I have these past experiences that are being triggered by the way this person is behaving. They Mm -hmm. have past experiences that may be triggered by the way I'm behaving. We end up Mm -hmm. just being in this maze. Vicious cycle. Exactly, this vicious cycle of dealing with people. And so it's it's Mm -hmm. so, so crucial. Not just for our own health, but for the people that we're interacting with. Yeah, and I remember this saying um, from high school where they said, um, hurt people hurt people, but Mm. free people 
free people. So mm. it's like, if you are healed in uh, in Christ and he's taking you through all of that, you're not going to be projecting, like you said, to other people and continue going on this vicious cycle, but you actually break it. And mm. I know he talks about that in Emotionally Healthy Church when it comes to families. Like, you break that cycle. Right. Um, and I think it's really important for us to understand that we have power in what we do and in the choices that we make. I think, um, yeah. at least for me, I felt so powerless growing up because I didn't think that my voice mattered. I mm. felt like, oh, you know, nothing's going to change anything. It is what it is. That's it. That was my mindset for a very, very long time. And even to this day, sometimes in certain aspects of my life, we're like, okay, you know what? what I say doesn't matter. But, you know, as you can see, I'm doing this podcast because I do know <laughs> what I say matters because yeah. Christ says what I say matters. And that's all that matters. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think this is really important to bring up. What you're saying reminds me of um, something Scazzaro says in a podcast related to uh, the chapter two, Face Your Shadow. Um, he talks about a person who joined their leadership team who was serving the church with them and was having so many um, kind of issues with the way things were going. Um, They're being triggered by certain events, feeling like they were neglected, feeling like they were, um, yeah, it just a lot of complicated emotions happening from past hurts. And mm-hmm. he, his process with that person was to really listen to them and, and watch watch their expressions and as he talked to them be like what did that just trigger in you like what are you feeling right now because i just said that and walk them through a process of healing for for a a very long period of time of several years where that person Mm -hmm. themselves was able to become a healthy individual and healthy leadership because he modeled he modeled Mm. that lifestyle of slowing down taking time to listen and they became a healthy leader because of that and that is so crucial because he actually brings up the fact that without that ability to set that culture and to set that example, what we end up doing is church hopping. We'll be, mm. and, we, and then we self-justify it and we say, well, I need a healthy community. Not saying if you're in a super unhealthy community, like you definitely need to leave, find a healthy community. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that you should stay in something that's bad, but that before we go this church is unhealthy. We also need to be able to say, am I handling this in an unhealthy way? Because sometimes we justify things like, oh, the Holy Spirit was just leading me to a new season at a new church. The Holy Spirit, I feel like I'm not growing here. So the Holy Spirit's calling me somewhere else. When sometimes that's actually just immaturity, emotional immaturity, and not being able Mm. to use tools to grow where you are. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, that, that growth then gets prevented because we end up church hopping and, and not building deeper relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? Like, um, this reminds me of the picture of the tree in chapter five of Emotionally Healthy Leader, where he draws this tree. And basically, at the bottom of the tree are these roots. And then above the tree are these um, branches. Um, and then he kind of compares it to our inner life, which are the roots that you can't see, but they're just as big as the branches, which is, um, symbolizes our outer life. And in our inner life, it talks about like facing our shadows. Um, 
you know, all the different chapters he talks about before that slow down for loving union and all that stuff. And mm. out of our outer life, he talks about boundaries, power and wise boundaries, culture of team mm. building. And most of the time you were talking about church, leaving the church and um, it all has to do with our inner life. And what you just say is what you see in the outer life. A lot of times is we justify ourselves with some of those decisions at times instead of confronting those very emotions and the trauma mm. that we've gone through in our, you know, in our past. And yeah. that kind of reminded me because um, as we're talking about like growth and emotional health, what comes to a point, how do you know you're healthy in quote? And my answer is you'll never know that you're completely healthy because Jesus hasn't <laughs> come back or you haven't, you know, you haven't gone to heaven yet. Right. Mm. Um, which actually kind of reminds me of a quote from chapter six, because I think, this could be an excuse of like trying to be healthy, be like, okay, I'm going to try to be the most healthiest I could be. I'm going to follow these things. And I wanted to read this because um, I remember it, it really, it made me look at life in a different way. And he defines success. Um, basically, he says, success is when people are transformed deep beneath the surface of their lives. And another quote is, God's standard of success isn't limited to growth. Success is first and foremost doing what God has asked us to do during it, doing it his way and in his timing. Basically, it's having a relationship with him. Mm. That's it. You know, it's yeah. not about, I, I'm pretty sure Pastor Scazzaro here isn't saying just be a robot uh, before mm -hmm. the Lord. Just do what he says. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> not what he's saying. Um, but I think that it's it's so important to understand that at the end of the day it really is a relationship with god and emotional health is something i feel like we've ignored because it mm. wasn't beneficial you know right. or at least what we see isn't beneficial because it's ugly and messy mm. and like so after true. one counseling session you know that you have issues right right you feel like you're making you feel like you're taking two steps back every time you have a counseling session right as good as it is for your heart it just feels like pain is is pointless but actually you can't have progress without pain and confronting pain mm -hmm. and so I, I totally get what you mean there and so just going back to something you said is like you mentioned how like even when we die like we're still bringing a broken person to god like perfection is not guaranteed on this mm -hmm. side of heaven like Yes. And Skazera actually says that in a podcast, he says, you bring your shadow with you when you die um, mm. until or until you die, that you'll have your shadow with you. And what's really important about this process, and I think what's really important for readers to know if they're going to read this book, is that it's not going to remove your pain. It's not mm -hmm. going to erase your history or magically transform it into something where you never have to confront these issues ever again if you just take mm -hmm. these steps. You will constantly have the memories. You'll always have the pain. There will always be things that trigger you. This book gives you tools of how to handle those things in a healthy way so that mm -hmm. it's not adversely affecting your relationship with people and that we have a hope that one day we'll, we'll be in a perfect relationship with people in heaven where there won't be pain, where we all will be perfect and not hurting each other. But until then, we have to know how to perceive our past and how to mm -hmm. handle it so that um, we can 
be stronger and we can love others well. Yeah. And you know, that's like the perfect note to end this podcast, but I feel like this isn't enough. And so I'd love to invite you again once more to talk about these books and also our personal experiences in the church and what that led to, because I feel like there's still so much more. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> would you be yeah, willing totally to come agree. back, Emily? I would totally be willing because I, I agree that we've really just kind of set the stage and there's so much more to dive into. So absolutely. I would love to come back. Yay. We're so happy to have you here, Emily. Seriously, this is such a topic very dear to my heart. And I'm so glad that I got to have you on the show. Yeah, it's so, so good to be able to talk through things like this. And I love just having kind of a mind mate in you, Marie, where we can really delve into these things together. And um, yeah, I hope this podcast has been super useful to people who've been listening. And um, I am so thankful that you had me on today. So thank you. We're so excited to have you back again. Yeah, to my listeners, there's a lot of resources in Peter Scazzaro's website. If you want to read Emotionally Healthy Leader, he also does little podcasts about each chapter. And so go ahead and check that out. Um, I'm sure if you just typed in Peter Scazzaro or Emotionally Healthy Church or Emotionally Healthy Leader, it'll pop up. And so till next time, I'll see you guys Bye. later. Bye. Bye.